Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. It is so great to see you. Thank you so much for being here as we kick off a new series entitled The Origin Story of Christmas. And this series will take us right up to Christmas Eve, and I hope that you'll be able to catch all of these. If you have to miss some and you'd like to catch them, we got them online, brazosfellowship.com. You can watch them there. So this morning as we get started, um, like many of you growing up, I loved looking at Christmas lights. I always look forward to it every year. It almost seems like that is sort of the first indication that we're moving into the Christmas season as the lights start going up on houses and trees and storefronts and on the mall and, of course, Christmas trees. You see it everywhere you look. It's beautiful, really cool. Um, And as a matter of fact, we even have a tradition in our family where we all load up in the car and go look at Christmas lights every year. The girls like to go, you know, roll the windows down, wrap up in blankets, get their hot chocolate and look at like it's 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 a whole thing. You know, it's really fun. But we do that every year. And it's funny how these lights always come at the darkest time of the year. I was just thinking about this recently, that this winter solstice that comes on the 21st of December, it's the shortest day, the darkest day of the entire year. As many of you know, we're we're creeping up on it pretty fast. We're down to just like 10 hours and a little few minutes of daylight, and that's it every single day. It's kind of crazy. It's getting shorter, but it's right after that darkest time of the year that we celebrate with all these lights, and they're not just decorative. So we're going to talk about today, there is this powerful symbolic meaning that points to something that God was doing at the original Christmas event, that God was doing and continues to do right down to this day. And I hope that today we'll kind of unveil and reveal a deeper meaning for these lights in a dark time, maybe for you right now. And light is so essential to almost everything that we do. You think about it, even if you go into a room, before you can do anything else in a room, especially a dark room, you got to turn the light on or you got to open the curtains. You got to be able to see what you're doing in there. And I don't know about you, but from the time I was a little kid, I'm not crazy about walking into dark rooms, especially when I was really young. I hated dark rooms. Anybody here that's willing to admit in church, like, I don't like the dark. I don't like walking into dark rooms. I I know you feel, okay, thank you, some really honest people. I say it like this. I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of what might be in the dark, okay? And it was funny because even, I I was trying to think about when was that when it really turned the corner and I got really scared of what might be in the dark. It was back when I was probably about 12 years old. Uh, Parents weren't at home. I thought it was a good idea to get on one of the movie channels and watch. I don't know if you guys remember this. Back in the 80s, there was a whole slew of werewolf movies that came out. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to watch all those like in one night, you know? And I watched like the Howling American Werewolf in London. There's a bunch of them. And I freaked myself out. Like, I got the heebie-jeebies so bad, I couldn't, like, I walk into a dark room, I'm like, there's probably a werewolf in that corner, there's probably one over there. Like, like, you know, and if you watch the movies, people don't do well when they come up against a werewolf, unless they have a gun with a silver bullet, of course. I mean, you know, you got to have that. I don't ever have that on me, so I'm in bad trouble. So anyway, I, I, I was always afraid of the dark, what might be in the dark. But it's crazy, the moment that 
switch got flipped, you know, on with the light. The lights came on. All my fear dissipated. I'm good. Like, I can move around the room. I can enjoy the room. It's great. Light made all the difference. And in a similar way, as we go into the Christmas season this year, I want to say this first truth that we're going to talk about today is essential to you really understanding all the other things we're going to talk about over the upcoming weeks. That until you get this one, the other ones are not going to really make a whole lot of sense, or it's going to be hard to grasp why they're so important. This one is so incredibly critical, and it really harkens all the way back to some of the first prophecies that were ever made about Jesus, and that's just why it's so important for us to talk about it. And here's the truth that I want you to begin to grasp, to understand, and to kind of grapple with today. You may not fully receive it or fully understand it right now. We're going to spend some time talking about it. Here it is. This world is a dark place, and we will never find our way or see reality unless Jesus is our light. We will never find our way. We'll never know reality until Jesus is our light. Now, where does that come from? This comes from an Old Testament prophecy made by the prophet Isaiah. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, he makes this prophecy. In the first book of the New Testament, written by Matthew, Matthew was writing to a group of people. He was trying to convince that Jesus was and is the Messiah, the fulfillment of God's promise of this salvation that is to come for all people of all nations, tongues, everybody, right? So he's going to quote this passage from Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 from Isaiah, it falls in Matthew's gospel in chapter 4, verse 16. I'd like to read it to you right now, but here's what Matthew says. If we could read the highlighted words together. He says, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land and shadow of death, a light has dawned. This light has dawned. And I want you to see and notice here that the light has dawned on us. It didn't spring forth from us. It didn't come from this world. It didn't come from us. It came from God, and it dawned here. It came here. He wants us to understand that. Now, the question you might be asking that you maybe need to understand a little backstory on is how is this world dark? Like, what does he mean by that? Now, it's interesting, in the Bible, this word dark or darkness actually has a double meaning. First, it means evil. Second, it means ignorance. All through Scripture, this is kind of different ways it's used. It's, it's used for one or two of these. So let me talk about the first one first, evil. The idea is that this world is filled with suffering and evil. Evil and suffering are everywhere. Violence, injustice. Abuse, abuse of power, homelessness, people who are heartbroken, families that are being ripped apart, people who are grieving over evil things that have happened are everywhere. You may be one of them, okay? It's all over. The second part of this, ignorance, there never has been nor ever will there be a person who has the knowledge, who has figured out how to solve, cure, or heal this problem of evil and suffering in this world. It's important that you understand that. 
Nobody will ever be able to have the knowledge of how to fix this, heal this problem. No political ideology will fix it, not capitalism, not socialism, no elected official we will ever vote for will ever be able to fix this, okay? They will never be able to solve the issue of evil and suffering in this world. That it is something that is not going to come from us. What I want you to see here is that this idea of overcoming the darkness is something that we ourselves will never be able to do. We're incapable. We can't do it. We tried and tried and tried and we failed miserably over and over and over. And in the Gospel of John chapter 1, Verses 9 and 10, he begins to talk about, he's one of the Gospels that doesn't explicitly talk about the birth event story of Jesus, but he talks about the metaphor of Jesus. And he talks about this powerful metaphor of light and darkness. And here's what the Gospel of John says. He says, the true, let's say it together, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. I want you to notice here, John is saying he is the creator God, wrapped in human flesh. This is who he is. This is what he, what, what he was all about. But yet, now this is the irony. He was the creator God that created everything that has life. Yet, the world did not know him. They didn't recognize him. There was, the, there was this darkness that kept the knowledge from connecting with their brain and being able to trust and to understand. It was the darkness. And what's interesting is that right down to this day, there are still many, many, many that do not know him. It's a part of our mission statement here at Brazos Fellowship to guide people to know to be introduced to Jesus into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether you're already a believer or follower, you need to be in a growing relationship. Let us help you to go further, faster, walk with, walk with God in a way that helps you to grow. Or those of you who <clears throat> may say, I don't have a relationship with God, but I'm really curious. I've got questions. I'd like to come closer. I'd like to somebody that we're safe to ask the questions and process the stuff. We want to be that place for you, to be able to help you to be able to know Him, because there's so many that don't. And what's interesting, and this is a sad reality, that when we don't know Him, we don't have His light of life in our life, then we radically come to conclusions that are incorrect about this life. That we come to conclusions that wind up train wrecking our life and running us off the road. It happens over and over again. And you see in culture everywhere, especially this time of year, and you probably noticed this before, that in our culture around Christmas time, there's this idea, pervasive idea of what the Christmas spirit is all about. And it goes something like this. The Christmas spirit in our culture is something like this, that if we would all just come together in love, we could create a world of unity and peace. We could do that. In other words, we have the light within us, that we, we can dispel darkness. We can overcome evil and suffering and injustice and violence if we just work hard enough 
And the assumption is that we don't really need God. But my question for you is, can we really? I mean, a lot of people have tried. And maybe today you're kind of falling into that camp. And let me just speak to that for a second. Maybe today you say, yeah, well, that's kind of where I am. I kind of fall into that camp of sort of famous atheists like the philosopher Bertrand Russell. He was one of the most famous atheists to ever live. He was a, a huge thinker on this topic. And I came across a writing of his recently that I loved because it was so brutally honest. He was one of the few atheists to say, when you take God, not just out of Christmas, you take him out of the worldview, you are left only with science to illuminate the future. And the future, ladies and gentlemen, becomes very bleak and dark indeed. I want to read to you something that he wrote in one of those honest moments when he's saying, this is really what's waiting. He says, even more purposeless, more void of meaning is the world which science presents for our belief, that man is the product of causes which had no prevision of the end that they were achieving, that his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. He goes on to say that no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought or feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. And he ends with this, and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. Now, I want to tell you that is dark. That is a dark way to live. But he's honest. He's saying, when you pull God out of the equation, that's what you're left with. Gut level, brutally honest. That's it. That's all you have. And I want to show you today that this origin story of Christmas unveils something beautiful to us. It begins to help us to understand our reality in a much better way. You see, the Christmas story teaches us not to look at the reality that we're left with, the, the darkness around us, and just say, okay, everybody, just cheer up. And if we work real hard and come together, we can fix all this stuff. That's not what it says. The Christian message is, no, it's that bad. It's this bad. It's dark. It's difficult. And you and I can't fix it. We can't fix it. But in all this darkness, there is hope. In all this darkness, a light has dawned, has come to us to rescue us. And that light is Jesus Christ that he has come to be our truth, to be our joy, to be our light, to light the way for us. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12, it wasn't just the Gospel writers saying this about Jesus. Now it's Jesus claiming it for himself. He says this, Jesus spoke to the people and once more said, I am the light. Not just the light, but the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because he looks around saying, and that is exactly where most people are walking. They're walking in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. That's what I've come to bring. 
light to illuminate, to help you to be able to see where you're going, what happens next, why, why that's so important. So the question that we need to ask now is, what does this light do for us? Like, why do we need to respond? Why is it so critical to respond to his light? Now, it may seem self-evident to you. you may say, well, duh, right? If you're in darkness, he's got the light. We need to follow. But let's just break it down a little further anyway. Number one is his light reveals truth. His light reveals truth. Now, I want you to think about this for just a minute how your headlights work on your car, okay? Now, think about it for a minute. Well, these short days, you're probably using your headlights more than ever. And in the evening when it gets pitch black, if you get out on the road and you try to drive around without your headlights on, what is likely to happen? You're probably going to be in a crash, right? You're going to be in an accident. And it just makes sense. Now, you, you, I'm going to ask the question even deeper. Why? Why is that? Because the lights on those headlights on the front of your car helps to illuminate truth that you and I must have in order to drive our car. There's a certain amount of truth about the things that are out in front of our car, that are in our driveway, in the parking lot of the Walmart or HEB or wherever, that we need to know or else we're going to crash into something. If we don't have that knowledge, we are destined to wreck our lives and our cars, in a similar way, we, we need, we necessitate, like the, the breath in our lungs, we need the truth that Jesus came to bring. It is the light that illuminates the path of life in this dark world. And without His truth, without His light, we go off the rails, we go in the ditch, relationally, financially, we go off into the ditch spiritually, we feel far away from God. Where is God right now? I feel like he's got something against me. Are we walking in the truth, in the light? That's the question we need to ask. The gospel writer John later writes a series of three letters right towards the end of the New Testament, right about the time that he was getting ready to write the book of Revelation. He writes these letters older, he's much older, later in life. And here's what he writes. This is the message we heard from Jesus. And now we declare to you. In other words, he's saying, I'm just simply relaying something that Jesus taught all the time. Okay. Jesus taught this over and over and over. It's important that you get this. Don't forget it. Here's what he says. God is light. God is light. And there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness, right? We live without the light. We say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. Yeah, I'm, I have a believer. I've, God's in my life. But we live and we walk the path of life in such a way that we're not listening to the, the truth. We're not listening to the light. We're not following what Jesus taught. You see, you're, 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 you're like making yourself out to be a liar. There's a contradiction. There is a hypocriticalness to your life. Don't live like that. It comes down to choices. He says, living in spiritual darkness, we are not practicing the truth. So he's showing us to walk in the light means to practice the truth. To listen. What did Jesus say? Now, how does that impact the way I live today? How should that change the way Will Lewis and you make decisions and live out our life, our behavior, how we treat others, how we treat our spouse, how we treat our coworkers, our employer, our employees, 
everybody, our next door neighbor that we live around, how should that inform the way we live to practice the truth? See, Jesus is showing us that this light was more than just to illuminate some kind of intellectual concepts so that we can digest and accept them. That he was trying to get us to begin to apply truth that has applicational power, that when you take the truth and you put it into practice, it ignites, explodes power in your life to change you and to expose God's reality to you that you will know no other way unless you apply it. It becomes, stays hidden to your eyes. You're still groping through the darkness. And there are a lot of Christian people that live like this. They're living in darkness because they're not applying and living according to the truth and not trusting God at his word. So at first, he came to reveal truth. That's what his light does. And second, his light gives joy. And I love this. I love this. And not only is this true spiritually, but it also is true for us literally. We have some friends of ours, Leslie and I do, that live up in the Pacific Northwest and we were talking to them not long ago, and they were saying, you know, this time of the year, we'll go weeks on end. It's overcast, gloomy, and I mean, wintertime depression is no joke up here. Like, people just get so depressed during the wintertime. And one of the number one therapies that are given to people is light exposure. Just to be around light will actually bring more joy. It will change their mood. It is crazy how light has that kind of effect on us. And what is true of us in in a literal biological, biomedical sense is also true of us spiritually. That there is a sense in which when we begin to walk in and trust in the path of our creator. We're in sync with his will, in sync with his creative design, and there is such joy that you begin to feel because you're you're living in sync with how God says, now this is how human beings flourish. This is how you're going to be at your best when you are doing what I have designed you to do, to live according to my truth and my word. And when you do that, it will begin to change everything. But we have to receive the light. We have to be open to it. What I'd like to do now is take our attention, point it back to our original text in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 6. If you have a beverage, let's enjoy it together, okay? I am needing a drink real bad. Okay. So here in Isaiah, as I said, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, he says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Jesus was and is a gift. He's a gift from God. His self-sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection was a gift. He is a gift. And it is why at Christmas that we give and receive gifts right now on this day. It was started because God initiated gift giving. He gave his son when we were lost, stuck in the darkness, and had no light. He was willing to be that light for us. And he was willing to come and rescue us in that light. But isn't it true that even in the gift-giving season, to receive some gifts, some gifts are more challenging to receive than others, right? Have you ever had that? Where you have, let's say, uh, a friend give you a gift, 
you open it up, and it's like, oh, it's a book on how to lose weight. Thanks. Appreciate that. They're over here. You open up the next one, it's like, oh, another book on how to overcome selfishness. Appreciate these books you got me for Christmas. Thank you so much. But for you to receive the books and to thank them for the books, in a sense, in inherently in your thanking them and receiving the gift, you're saying, yes, I need help. I'm weak and I have limitations. Thank you for recognizing them and helping me with it. And we got to swallow hard some pride in those moments. And by the way, if your friends are giving you books like that for Christmas, listen to them, okay? Probably trying to help you out, all right? But it's hard when you receive gifts like that. Maybe you've had somebody try to give you the gift of money because they know you needed it. And it was hard for you to swallow that pride and say, okay, yeah, I, need, I really, really need it. It's hard, it's hard. But there is nothing in this universe no gift that you will ever receive that will cause you to swallow your pride deeper than the gift of Jesus Christ and what he commands and demands of us. You see, the gift of Jesus Christ, this original Christmas story, what it shows us is that you and I are so, not that we're just lost spiritually, we are so lost and we cannot save ourselves to such a degree that only the death of the Son of God could save us and rescue us. That's what Christmas says. That there was no other way out of this. And that receiving the gift of Jesus Christ is simply saying, I am a sinner. I want to and need to be saved by grace. In other words, the forgiveness that I'm receiving, I did not deserve it. It's given simply because God loves me. Saved by grace. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved by grace. And then number three is that I need to surrender my whole life to you, God. That is the hardest one for a lot of people. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved by grace. I surrender my whole life to you. It's one of the hardest ones. But I just want you to know that surrendering your whole life, that is something that Jesus doesn't just ask of us. It was something he modeled for us. In order for him to offer this gift of eternal life, this light to us, he had to surrender his entire life, everything for you and I. He gave his life. He gave everything. And he doesn't ask us to come and be crucified to him he does ask us to come and give our life, to be living sacrifices, to come and travel down, as it were, the same path that he went down in order to rescue us, to save us, to bring the light to us. And he's saying, I want you to come and trust me. And what you're going to find is that truth is going to be illuminated. Love of God is going to begin to be felt in your life like you never felt before. And the joy of God will begin to reside in your soul like you've never experienced before, but you don't get access to those until you begin to walk in the light. Practice the truth. So important. The disciple Peter, long after he betrayed Jesus, was reinstated, later was willing to give his life for his testimony to Jesus and when they were getting ready to crucify Peter, history tells us that he says, no, I am not worthy to die as my Lord. You can crucify me upside down. 
And this is the way Peter died. Before he passed away, he, he reminded the followers of Jesus, don't forget this powerful metaphor. We're all in a dark room, and we need somebody to turn on the light. And he said this. He said, he called you out, he being Jesus, out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And I can't help but believe that somebody in here today, man or woman, is feeling the call of Jesus to say, come out of that darkness. Come to me. Trust me. I can be trusted. Joy like you've never known. Truth like you've never been able to have the confidence to live in. You're wandering. You don't know what to believe. You, can't, you don't know what's true. You, there's no just joyless. It's purposeless. You, you just feel like life, what is the point? How does this all going to make sense in the end? Jesus is saying, it's because of the darkness you feel this way. Come to me. Come to me. Trust me. Turn to me now while there's still time. I'm asking you to pray this application prayer with me today, simply saying, Jesus, show me where I need to step out of the darkness and into your light. I admit I am a sinner <clears throat> and I need to be saved by your grace. I give up control of my life wherever there's darkness to walk in your light. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.